Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans don't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognized God's gift and who was saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would be giving you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning is a continuation of the story of the woman at the well. So as we turn our minds back to Jacob's well, let us continue to let our hearts be open and our ears listening for what God is trying to say. Hear these words from John chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go get your husband and come back. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You're right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people Say it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, there is a time coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am. I am the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, 
No one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Our story this morning takes place at Jacob's Well. It's a historical and meaningful place, an ancient well, a well that brought people from all over the region to come to this particular spot to draw water. And it's here at this well that Jesus and the Samaritan woman meet. As we heard in the story, Jews and Samaritans don't associate with one another. In fact, Jesus made a risky move cutting through the Samaritan region while on his way to Galilee. However, his thirst and her thirst, their thirst for water, has brought both Jesus and the Samaritan woman to this well. So when they first meet, Jesus doesn't ask her name or even greet her. Instead, he, he simply says, give me water to drink. And she's taken aback. And she doesn't know what to do, so she, she poses a question. Why are you talking to me? You know Jews and Samaritans don't associate, and, and you definitely know that men don't really talk to women that they're not related to. However, Jesus persists as he says, if you truly recognize me, if you really saw me, you would actually be asking me for water, and not just any water, this thing called living water. So like any person would do, like I would do, the woman inquires about this living water. Why is it so special? Actually, what is it? And, and how can this living water be any different or more special than the water that is in this ancient, special well of Jacob and her ancestors? Jesus' response to her questions is one of care. He tells her, it's a different kind of water from the stagnant groundwater at the bottom of this well. It's a spiritual water. It's a kind of water that will sustain you. It will change you, and it will bubble up into life abundant. The woman immediately asks for this water, sharing her desire to never be thirsty again. There's something that we share in common with our ancient ancestors. We actually share a lot. But one specific thing in this story is, is just how precious our water resources are. For many regions, water wasn't accessible. One would have to walk miles to reach a place to draw water for cooking, cleaning, bathing. Water wasn't necessarily easy to come by. And for some, in these ancient days, they had to plan their whole day around whether they could, when they could get to the well or another water source, or whether they could at all. People fought over having the best land access to water. 
And according to researchers, that's still true today. A Newsweek article that came out in 2015 suggests that the Syrian conflict, and now war, started because of severe droughts and people's desperate need for water. Our thirst, the world's thirst, is deep. And we all need water to survive. So I find myself wondering, what is this living water that Jesus is talking about? And how can it be any different from the life-sustaining resource that we all need? Michigan State, Michigan's state motto is, if you seek a pleasant peninsula, look about you. To be on a peninsula means that the piece of land you are standing on is surrounded on three sides by water. So as a state, we have amazing access to beautiful lakes. As someone from the plains and a landlocked state, I am often in wonder about the amount of water I get to be around here. I was actually just talking about this with one of our youth. And as we talked about this, we found ourselves Googling this, this fact. And we figured out that no matter where you are in the state, you're only about an hour away from some kind of large body of water. For a girl from Kansas who had to drive three hours to get to any kind of water, that's a big deal. So isn't that amazing? However, I find myself holding this intention with the fact that so many of our neighbors in southeastern Michigan lack access to clean water in their homes. Sometimes when we're really desperate, he rides his bike two miles to our neighbors. That's where he fills up our two jugs with water. After saying hi to his friends at the house, he balances the handles of the jugs on the handlebars of his bike, and he rides the two miles back home. Overall, it's a four-mile trip just so we can have clean water to drink. This was one of only many stories I've recently heard about the inaccessibility of water. Through these stories, I have learned just how many gallons it takes to clean a sink full of dishes, how many ounces it takes to flush a toilet, and how many jugs it takes to fill a bathtub to first bathe in and then reboil and do a load of laundry with. The effects of the 2018 water shutoffs in Detroit is a reality for more than 17,000 homes and families. Pure Michigan, we're really a state all about water. From our beautiful lakes and rivers to the ways our most vulnerable community members lack access to clean drinking water. It's a tension we live in. We have an abundance of lakes, and yet we have people struggling to quench a deep physical thirst. We all need water. But how is this living water different from the miracle of our neighbors having access to clean, drinkable water? So let's turn back to the text. And as we do, we enter into a point in the conversation where it turns from this common need for water to a more vulnerable, intimate conversation. Instead of giving her a cup of water when she asks for it, 
Jesus tells her to go and get her husband. When the woman says that she can't actually do that because she doesn't have one, Jesus says, I know who you are. You don't have one husband. You have had five. And currently, the one you are with is not one that you are legally married to. Now, it's really easy to read into this text at this point that this woman is somehow promiscuous. However, I'd just like to point out that the author of John makes no mention of sin, nor does Jesus offer forgiveness or condemnation. In fact, this is so startling that some scholars believe that this woman is not just a standalone being, but rather an allegorical figure for the Samaritan people as a whole. And those six men mentioned represent the six powers that have pillaged, burned, and ruled over the region of Samaritan people destroying their homes, their communities, natural resources, and even their holiest places of worship. Except this well, Jacob's well, the well where her ancestors came to draw water from. This one well has survived the generations of violence and trauma. And it's at this well that Jesus cuts through these boundaries of race, gender, and culture, and ethnicity. And he says, I see you. I see your people. And I see your pain. I see your humanity. And I want you to know it's not always going to be like this. The world will turn. Things will be different. At this point, the conversation moves into a discussion about worship, where people worship, and who people can worship with. The interesting thing that is going on here is that this is a deeper conversation and prophetic message that Jesus is proclaiming about radical inclusion, relationship, and transformation. It is one of equity and justice, and liberation from all the forces that bind her. This point in the conversation, it is not only powerful, it is so prophetic that it produces a hope. And this hope changes her life. And it is in this vulnerable and honest moment of the conversation that she begins to recognize who Jesus is. At first, she sees him as a prophet, but then it clicks when Jesus says, I am. She recognizes that word from the tales told about Moses and the burning bush. And just as Jesus was truly able to see her in this conversation, she also encounters the whole being of Jesus the Christ. In this moment, this realization is happening, this beautiful, amazing moment. The disciples return and ground us back into reality. And instead of listening and welcoming the woman, they stand in shock. 
Because why would Jesus be talking to a woman? Why would Jesus be talking to a Samaritan? Their curiosity and compassion for this moment is cut short by their own biases and cultural differences. And therefore, they miss the life-giving encounter and energy that is bubbling up between Jesus and this woman. It's a tension we hold in this story. The tension of the possibility of what will be and the reality of where we stand now. So how will we choose to move forward? The good news is, is that this encounter is hope-producing. And this living water, this encounter, it's so powerful. And this woman and her people are so strong that she goes back to her town and she proclaims what she's heard and what she's experienced. Come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done, everything I've ever experienced, everything we've ever been through. Come and see the one who truly sees me, who knows me. And so she goes and she draws the community in close as she proclaims this and invites them to share in this new way, this living water that she was offered. So what Jesus offers in this text is an invitation to live a life renewed and refreshed, to live abundantly in community and in hope with one another. Perhaps this living water is less about the actual water source and more about how our common thirst grounds us together in hope. And if we allow ourselves to open up to one another and to God, then maybe our very hearts can be changed we ourselves can be transformed. Later on in the Gospel according to John, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. And today we as Christians often find ourselves striving to continue to shine God's light in this world. So as we read this message today, I can't help but wonder, what would it look like for us to be living water in a thirsting world? both metaphorically and literally. One place that got me thinking about this was on our high school mission trip to Baltimore, Maryland this summer. While we were there, we partnered with a predominantly Spanish-speaking congregation called Gallery Church. We helped them host their vacation Bible school in a nearby park. And so as we read Bible stories and played with bubbles and sang silly songs and played tag on the playground, we also found ourselves sitting around with parents and students drinking lots of water on those humid Baltimore summer days. And as we did so, we found ourselves building relationships. Relationships across boundaries of race, language, ethnicity, and culture, much like Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And these Relationships were so impactful that as we were driving home to Michigan, our youth spent over an hour on FaceTime talking with some of the families from Gallery Church. Looking back, each and every one of us, no matter who we are or where we came from, we came to that park thirsting. For some of us, it was a physical thirst, 
while for others of us, we came thirsting to have our hearts changed. Either way, in the midst of conversation, singing, and a lot of ladderball, God showed up, the Spirit moved, and through our relationships and conversations with one another, we were transformed and renewed. Much like the conversations of living water in this text, our group and gallery church's willingness to be vulnerable, honest, and genuine with each other opened up space for the Holy Spirit to do her work and transform our hearts along the way. The story teaches us that relationships are vital. Water is a necessity, and our thirst for a new day is palpable. In a world thirsting for more, thirsting for better lives, for justice, for relationships, for hope and for peace, for liberation, for financial stability, and yes, for clean, drinkable water. We need to be reminded of the soul-quenching, transformational power that this text shares. Jesus and the woman came to the well to drink the water they needed to sustain their bodies. And as we watch their interaction at this point, we come to learn, we come to learn from them that water is necessary, relationships are vital, and if we allow it, God is always at work changing our hearts, offering us a new way to see and live in the world, a new way that could possibly even change the way this world turns. It is a way that is brimming with goodness and brimming with hope. And as we find ourselves getting to work in this thirsting world, that's good news. Thanks be to God. Please join your hearts and your minds with mine as we continue in a spirit of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for water, for its smooth cleanness as it runs from our taps, water that is safe for drinking. Thank you for the beautiful blue of the lakes around us, for babbling streams, the rushing of rivers, the richness of water resources we often take for granted. Thank you for water from the skies, for water that falls on gardens and crops, fueling green growth, food for the world. Thank you for water for fun, for swimming pools filled with laughing children and sprinklers making rainbows on the hottest days. Thank you most of all that you offer us living water, your spirit fresh and unstoppable. Forgive us for living parched lives. Where we have given up hope, fill us now. Where we are lonely, fill us now. Where we can find no love in our hearts, fill us now. Rain down with the faith that we are lacking. Well up with the grace that we need. Break open the seeds of hope we are missing. Pluck the harvest of bountiful justice we are craving. Glisten and dance with the faithful love we are chasing. Thank you for your presence, which bubbles up, refreshing and enlivening the hard places in our lives, the places where grief, sickness, sorrow, conflict, and other sources of pain have taken root. Soften our pain with the streams of your mercy and sow seeds for healing that push up through the ground and reach for the light in your way and in your timing. Today we pray for the dry places of the world, 
for lands where people walk long distances for waters, for countries like Israel and Palestine where access to water becomes a weapon used to oppress another, for those places closer to home where access to clean water no less reveals how oppression defaces your image in our neighbors. Lord, give us a thirst for righteousness and justice. Help us to work for peace in our world, for there is so much water, and yet so many are thirsty. We pray all this and the unspoken prayers of our hearts in the name of Christ, who is living water for us all, who empowers us to begin again, fumbling as we do, and yet trying to live the words he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.